0: This is episode 105 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Chad Oldfather. Chad has ridden horses just enough times to appreciate how difficult it is to do well. He has also mucked stalls, cleaned tack, stacked hay, helped fix fences, and logged hundreds of hours ringside as his daughters have taken lessons and ridden in shows. By day, he is a professor at Marquette University Law School, where, among other things, he teaches classes on and writes about judicial behavior, constitutional law, and the jurisprudence of sport, and serves on the board of advisors to the National Sports Law Institute. His non-legal writings have appeared in the Chronicle of the Horse, the World Equestrian Center Magazine, and Harvard Magazine. Saddle up for a conversation with Chad about why he chose to write a personal memoir about his life, his daughters, and their experience with horses. You'll be moved by his dedication to his daughter's equestrian dreams, glean tips on parenting equestrians, including how to manage expectations in the sport, as well as insight on enjoying the little things. Chad believes that the best moments are not always on the biggest stages. Now let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to welcome Chad Oldfather to the show. Hi, Chad. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: I am so excited to have you. I absolutely fell in love with your book, A Man Walks Into a Barn, which we're going to dive deep into. Uh, Your Interaction with horses kind of came in a uh, different sort of way, which is uh, which I'm excited to talk to you about. I always start the interviews off uh, with asking, "How have horses touched your life?"
1: Yeah, and and as you just suggested, right? My my answer to that is probably going to be a little bit different from most people's answer to that. In that, in that for me, it was kind of indirect, right? In the sense that I'm I'm not the one who was drawn to horses in the way that people are drawn to horses it was it was my daughters um who were particularly my oldest daughter when uh when she was two years old it it just kind of came out of nowhere that that she was really into horses and, you know, the week before she'd been really into airplanes or something like that. And so we thought, well, you know, here's a here's a thing that'll stick around for a while and then she'll be onto something else. And uh, that's not how it unfolded at all. It, it stuck. <laughs> so, you know, how they touched my life. Well, you know, certainly making me closer to my daughters, right. Getting to explore this world to them, which was unfamiliar to both of us. We're kind of, well, all of us, right. A lot of the initial journey occurred with my older oldest daughter, but uh, her younger sisters followed along as well. Right. And so getting to explore this world with them, having something always to talk about with them and really, you know, most importantly of all, just getting to spend time with them. Right. So that's one one thing that happened. And then of course, there were all these side benefits as well. Uh, I got out of it this large group of friends that I, you know, are, are people I other, otherwise wouldn't have crossed paths with. Right. It's pretty easy in my, in my life to to spend time with, you know, lots of other lawyers like me and and academics like me. Uh, and Because of horses, I got to know people, many of whom I still count as very good friends who have all sorts of other lives. Uh, and that's been really rewarding and enjoyable as well. And, you know, of course, I met a few horses along the way that I've become pretty fond of as well.
0: <laughs> and I was really proud of you. I mean, even though the horses weren't your thing, you actually took a few riding lessons so you could get the feeling or or understand a little bit about what what your daughters were experiencing I thought that was a really really nice touch <laughs>
1: yeah it was it was a consistent thing people along the way kept saying well now it's your turn to learn how to do this because <laughs> I you know because I was I was interested it's fascinating in, mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways and and uh, I did a couple points along the line and you know I think just enough to realize just how hard it is to do well Uh, and given the amount of other things that I'd like to do, you know, I sort of had to decide like, okay, is, is this something I want to devote a bunch of time to trying to figure out how to do well or, or not. And, um, you know, so I still get to hang out with horses every now and then, and I enjoy that, but the riding part, I think I, I, I've, I've learned enough to know that it would be harder to get as good as it, good at it as I would like to be, Mm -hmm. than I'm going to have time to devote to it.
0: Yeah. So you can test, you can testify to the fact that riders are not just sitting on their horses and the horses, (laughs) the horses aren't doing all the work, right? Right.
1: No (laughs) no matter how easy it looks. I mean, I remember sitting there at the side, watching these lessons and, you know, hearing, hearing someone say for the 15th time, do this or do that thing and, and sitting there and wondering like, why can they not just do that? And then (laughs) And then I'm sitting on top of a horse and, and, uh, you know, you start to think of one thing and you forget the other things you're supposed to be doing and it all just kind of falls apart. So yeah, I have a a much, much greater appreciation for
0: that. (laughs) Yeah. There's all these minute multitasking movements that you're doing to get the horse to where they want to be. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that you shared that with listeners. (laughs) So I, I just, I, as I said earlier, I love, loved your book. It was funny. It was deep. It was insightful. you know and and you talked about all the friends that you made through the horse world which you know they they do show up in the book uh talk to us about your book a man walks into a barn
1: i mean I, i i guess i think of it as as two things i suppose like one is it's just kind of this you know basically a memoir right a straight up um more or less chronological account of this journey I took with my daughters, um, which is still ongoing, of course, uh, through the horse world, right? Which for us involved time spent at really pretty much all levels of the sport, right? In in multiple respects, right? Of course the beginning level riding, but also, you know, we started out at a barn that uh, was, that that fills this really um, important niche in the horse world, which is one that's fairly accessible and affordable because when, when we started doing this, I was, uh, I was the the sole person bringing in an income in our family, and it, it was the income of of a of a professor, which you know is hardly a, a lucrative sort of career, right? So we found this place that that would accommodate that, and uh, you know it was a it was a barn that went to schooling shows, really, for the most part. To the to the extent they did shows at all, uh, and ended up uh, with my daughters, you know, getting to spend some time under the guidance of some of the most elite trainers in the sport and competing at you know some of the venues where the, where the elite folks really compete. And so getting to see all of that and and a, and a lot of what's in between, I think is you know something that I, I just tried to tell that story because it seemed like an interesting, interesting story. And then, and then the other part is, is offering commentary on what, what we saw, right? Some of it is, is just ob- making observations on uh, the ways in which watching my daughters acquire this set of skills right and 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 the sort of increasing levels of depth and nuance that you have to accumulate as you go through it really sort of paralleled in lots of ways both my own experience in in learning to become a lawyer and and hopefully getting good at being a lawyer and and also then in my career as a professor teaching people um how to be lawyers and and trying to impart these, these skills where so much of what's involved in both is this feel right you have to just develop this intuition for what the problems are what the right way to approach solving them are uh, and and so forth so there are really lots of parallels there that i thought were pretty interesting and, and, and worth developing and then you know some of it is is more of the sort of commentary you'd expect right here's here's some Advice for whatever it's worth for for parents. Um, here's some thoughts that maybe uh, are of, of use to other people who have other roles in the horse world. There's a chapter, for example, that I kind of crowdsourced using uh, using uh, my Facebook page to uh, to get suggestions for what what would be some advice that you would give to trainers. Right? How mm-hmm. should how should they go about doing their job? Uh, there's a chapter on. Uh, the horse show judging structure, which I find frustrating in all sorts of ways, particularly, you know, as uh, as you know, I, I studied judging in the legal system as I mean, sort of scholarly focus. So I, I talk a little bit about that. Uh, there's some thoughts about what governing bodies of the sport might do better, because I'm also involved in in sports law a little bit in my career. So I think about those sorts of things as well. There's I think there's a lot that could be fixed there, right? So ultimately, it's just this. Effort to provide an honest account of of what I saw, hopefully of uh, of some use to to some people, and uh, most of all, hopefully something that people will enjoy reading.
0: Yes, and it was definitely enjoyable. It was thought provoking, and as I was going through here, I kept highlighting lines. I have all these earmarked pages in your book as I was reading it, and I love this this here. One of the themes running through this book is that as a parent, you're constantly making decisions against a backdrop of deep uncertainty. I have a whole new respect for the horse show parents looking through your eyes as I was reading this book. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, and, and it's, you know, I, I, suppose it's true of lots of areas of life, right? We, we, you sort of imagine when you're younger that, that you'll figure things out someday and, uh, and you get far enough along the path and you realize that nobody really knows what they're doing. And we're all just kind of flying by the seat of our pants <laughs> to some degree or other. And, uh, you know, you got to figure out how to, how to grapple with that. I don't know if you ever entirely get comfortable with it, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's certainly a fact that that's There,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely, and I, you know, I, I think this is really kind of neat. Uh, throughout the book, you mentioned that a lot of people have told you that they they wish you were their dad. Uh, I found myself thinking the same thing as I read your book. Oh man, I wish he was my horse show dad. How does it make you feel hearing that 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 people relate to you that way after seeing you interact with horses and your children?
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels pretty good, of course, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that, that's at least some suggestion that uh, that that you're doing. What you should be doing, but of course, you know, at the end of the day, they're right there, there are three people, um, you know, whose opinions matter uh, when it comes to the answering that question, and uh, they certainly understand that I'm not perfect, right, and and <laughs> that there were plenty of moments when I wasn't uh, at my best, and you know, they probably experienced uh, the story a little bit differently than I did, so you know, it's nice, um, and certainly, um, you know, I was aiming for not necessarily to. Get other people to think that of me, but to get my daughters to think that of me—that you know, at the end of the day, 10 20 years from now, hopefully they'll look back on it and say, "Yeah, you know, he did all right."
0: Yeah, I mean, they—they got to achieve very high levels of the equestrian sport, and you were there, rooting them on, standing ringside. I mean, you know, and you, you sacrificed a lot of time and driving and miles to to help them achieve their dreams. So good on you. I, you know, I wanted to ask this too. Like after all you've been through with Uh, with horses and as the parent of equestrians what three things do you appreciate about horses most
1: (laughs) yeah I mean that's that's an interesting question I mean so I think I've come to appreciate is just you know I maybe call it horses for their own sake right just just how impressive they are as animals right in terms mm. of just gracefulness and athleticism and talent and majesty and you know, all those sorts of things right also how they each very much have their own personalities right That <laughs> they're just they're not the same horses uh you know and and in all the sorts of ways that people are not the same and and other animals dogs certainly don't have the same personalities right but it's a different sort of relationship you know than than a relationship with a person or a relationship with a dog it it, it just is in ways that you know i don't know if i can fully fully articulate how uh, and then of course right there's just this effect that they have on people um that's that's really there are not that many things that i think you know quite parallel it you know people just if you're a horse person. You are a horse person and uh, you know that people structure their lives around spending time with horses uh, in pretty much any way they can and you know I admire that uh, and so you know you gotta you gotta tip your cap to an animal that can that can affect that many people that deeply
0: oh yeah said very well and yes we are a interesting herd of people <laughs> who, who love our horses more than anything I mean they are like our families and if you really think about it you know I've had my Horse for sixteen years uh, since she was three. My heart horse, and you know that's a lot of life that I've lived with her. You know, and they can live yeah. to be thirty years old. So you know that's a lot of time to have a, an animal that you keep for that long. So yeah, right. they're, they're right. pretty special, and and they are different. The interaction with them is different than people and dogs. That right? you you hit that right on the head. I love that you wrote this book to give us a perspective of what it's like to be an equestrian parent. Do you have any? Uh, tips that you could share with other equestrian parents on how to manage expectations, because you do address that in the book, and I thought that was a really important topic.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, I certainly uh, didn't fully appreciate going in, and I think it's, you know, it's natural for people, um, no matter what the context is, to always be kind of focusing on on those who have more. Right. The people who have got just a little bit more. Right. It's always you're always looking up the up the mountain, up the ladder, whatever the metaphor is that you want to use. And in the horse world, right, at at the top of that mountain are people who have, you know, almost infinite wealth, uh, effectively. Right. Just have resources that are uh, that are for practical purposes, unlimited, certainly compared to you know those of us, um, the, almost all of the rest of us. <laughs> And, you know, uh, when I was a kid, it was certainly the case that there were people around me who had more. And I sort of understood on an abstract level that there were fantastically wealthy people. But, you know, that was just like a different world. And, you know, I sort of imagined it, but it wasn't real to me uh, in any uh, in any significant sense. Whereas I think these days, you know, there, there are a couple things that are different. I mean, one is, it, once you reach a certain level of equestrian sport, right, you're just you're suddenly competing with those people, right? You know so I've I've interacted with billionaires, um, you know and and some of it has been uh, been at horse shows. And so you know now these people are are not an abstraction. they're real and they're, you know, going in the ring just in front of you, let's say. Uh, and then you know, I think one of the things that, that that's really different today is that social media just makes it so much easier to see, how much they've got, right? Because you just you follow them on Instagram or whatever, uh, and you know there they are with their string of however many horses, you know. And and you know my daughters talk about this, right? They they had they had one horse, right? And you know and that's that's the one uh, that is uh, that, that you've got uh, to work with, and there's no possibility of of adding a second one because it's all we can do to to have the one, uh, especially when you've got two daughters who are deeply involved in it. So, you know it it makes it even more challenging, I think, and more important to uh, have a sense as early on in the journey as you can just how much of an uphill climb it is, right? if you set if you set these lofty goals and and to understand, look, you're gonna you're gonna pretty quickly run into people who are gonna be able to afford more things than you. Uh, you know, it's easier, I think, now to appreciate that than when we started because. There's just that much more information on the internet now. It's much more accessible, but you know, people always want to believe what they want to believe, and there are plenty of people, and certainly this is true in the horse world, who are happy to tell us what they think we want to hear. Uh, and you know, so it's it's easy to, uh, I think, imagine that yours is going to be the the fairy tale story, and maybe it will, but you know, uh, the odds are not in your favor uh, when it comes to that. So you know, and I, I think too, it's important to understand and my daughters certainly do understand this that you know getting to do it at all right is absolutely a privilege right and so you might be tempted to look at the at the the kid with six horses but there's somebody else who's looking at you with your one and is wishing they could be you uh so it's important to appreciate that you know no matter how else somebody how much somebody else might have you've Mm -hmm. got something that's pretty significant too and don't take that for granted
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just there are so many little girls that would dream of being able to do what your daughters did and see what they saw and have the the caliber of horse that they had. you know, and having a horse is a privilege in and of itself. So I think you said that really, really well. But yes, when you get to those higher levels, you know, no matter what you're doing with horses, you're always going to get to a level where there's somebody that has infinitely more than you do. If you could choose one moment from your horse journey, or or one moment of your journey as a horse dad to share with listeners, what would it be? It could be funny. It could be serious. It could be anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, so (laughs) there are so many, right. It's hard to, hard to pick a single one. I keep going back to, you know, the best moments being the little ones, right. Mm -hmm. Not the, not the, you just had a successful round or whatever, maybe a, maybe a trip in the car, probably something along the lines of, you know, kind of when, when we got the first horse we ever owned and we were at this barn called hidden, hidden view farm. And we'd usually go up there and it was then all three were riding and we'd go up and we they had to kind of share time on, on cash, the horse and we'd get to the barn and it's winter and it's dark and it's cold. And (laughs) usually it was just us in this, in this beautiful converted old dairy barn. That's, that's become a horse barn. And You know that was just kind of cool, right? Just feeling like we were, we were in our own world, um, figuring all this out, and uh, you know most of it was still ahead, and it was all learning and possibility, and that was pretty cool.
0: Oh, that's so lovely, and I can, you know, those are the the moments that you do talk a lot about in the book are just so special bonding moments on the journey to where you were heading and the dreams you're you were chasing with your daughters and in fact I underlined kind of exactly what you said in the book the best moments are not always on the biggest stages It just is such a great book (laughs) I really like it Uh, the wall street journal actually named a man walks into the barn in a feature called 10 books to read the best reviews of march and that was this year congratulations. That is amazing. (laughs) I love seeing an equestrian book, you know, in, in, in that group in the Wall Street Journal. How did that make you feel?
1: Yeah. I mean, that was pretty wild. So, you know, I've done, um, I'm, I'm a law professor by day and part of that involves writing. So I've done lots of writing and published lots of things. And, you know, usually you send it out in the world and, you know, you, you maybe get a couple of emails a little while after it appears. And, um, if you're lucky, you know, you'll get a couple invitations to go talk somewhere, but it's, there's not a, there's not much fanfare uh, usually that's that's built into the to the publishing I've done. So to have uh, to have something like that happen was pretty cool, and, and it was not something I was uh, I was expecting. Uh, and then of course you hear from uh, you know a lot an interesting array of people from your past uh, uh, when something like that happens too. So yeah, that was uh, that was that was pretty exciting.
0: That was amazing. I was, I was so pleased to see that you mentioned, you've mentioned a few times you're a lawyer and, and you're a professor at um, Marquette university law school and you do writing and you teach classes and, and you practice law. What did you have to like shift sides of your brain to go from, from writing in a lawyerly way or a legal way to writing about equestrians? So I know you've done some work for, for equestrian publications. Did, did it just come naturally to write in both realms or did you have to tone down to write, to write a man walks into the barn? I
1: mean, it's, it's certainly a different, different, a different voice so to Mm -hmm. speak that, that I use in, in one versus the other. I mean, I do try to write clearly um, no matter what I write, which some people find surprising in a lawyer, but um, (laughs) I think, you know, i think it i think it i think it's a good plan so you know yes i i did have to change uh and you know it was one of these things where i had i had kind of always had it in my mind that i wanted to do some non-legal non-academic writing and i had to figure out you know what to write about uh and i found myself sitting ringside watching all of this learning going on and and puzzling over it and thinking all right well this is this is kind of what I do right I, I, I have thoughts and I have questions and I just sort of work my way through them in writing and um, maybe there's an audience uh, for this and you know somewhere along the line I had learned of the Chronicle of the Horse and been reading it a little bit and so I I, I sent off a proposal uh, to Molly Sorge who at the time was coordinating the, the blogging that was going on there and Uh, and she said, yeah, let's, let's give it a whirl and see how it goes. So, uh, that was how it started. Fortunately was, was pretty well received. And then, you know, somewhere along the line, it's the next step is, well, let's, let's take that and use it as the starting point for a book that led pretty naturally to, to it ultimately becoming a book. And of course, back to the connection to the, to the law, right. As, as I already mentioned, right. I I saw these natural connections there. Mm So it was easy to, to kind of, explore some territory that i'm that i'm thinking about in both contexts
0: yeah and you did it so well and i was just wondering out if it was tricky if you had to switch you know sides of your brains or yeah anything. yeah
1: i mean it's definitely you know like i'm, I'm clearly thinking uh, and i don't even know how how to describe how it goes on but yes i'm you know it's like okay take take the lawyer hat off now and put on <laughs> the writing for a larger different audience hat and um and try to imagine you know you're always trying to imagine who your reader is mm. to some degree or other and the understanding that okay, this is this is somebody else who's trying to get something different out of what I'm writing here. So mm-hmm. let me let me think about what they might be interested in hearing.
0: That's great. I mean so you got into what your your reader would want to read and made it clear. And I found it clever and, and witty and very educational and informational and touching. I mean it had all the elements that a reader would want in a in a good book. So you did that very well.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Now, your publisher is Trafalgar Square Books. I've I've interviewed a lot of your fellow authors in the Trafalgar herd. It's it's they're so wonderful over there. How how did you end up connecting with Trafalgar Square, and and what's it been like working with them?
1: So you know, I I had this idea that I was going to write a book, and for a while, I I for not very long actually, I think I would say I I tried the like oh well, let's find an agent and you know try to get do it the way that you know. Apparently, you're supposed to do it, uh, and I thought I had a pretty good proposal. But one of the things that I heard from people with some familiarity with that world was like, okay, well, these these agents are getting lots and lots of pitches for horse books, and you know that you're you're just kind of going to be fighting an uphill battle uh, when you're doing that. And so, you know, at some point, not too far down the line, I realized like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it now before I forget, um, before I've you know completely lost touch with. With uh, with the reality of this, because my daughters, you know, they're now all in college, and so it's it's a much, much less regular uh, activity for me uh, than it was, Uh, and I knew that Trafalgar was uh, was kind of the place um, for horse books, and so I sent a proposal off. And, uh, you know, fortunately it was, it was well-received and, uh, they've been, they've been tremendous to work with, right. It's been, you know, at the, at this point, I, I sort of feel like I'm working with friends, right. Mm-hmm. As much as anything, it, it's been great. And, you know, a part of me, like, I don't, I don't for myself necessarily have any, you know, grand needs for this to sell a lot of books or whatever, but I'd like it to do well for them, right. Because mm-hmm. that's their, that's their business. And so mm-hmm. don't buy it for me, buy it for, buy it for them. <laughs>
0: I think it's a, it's a perfect match. I mean, and you know, they, they have the connections with tax stores and those yeah. people and it's a perfect fit for you and, and they are wonderful. And I love the cover. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about the the cover here? I think. It's yeah. Great.
1: I mean, this is, this is, a, you, I could not have, at, I, I, I want people to judge the book by the cover because mm-hmm. it is so extraordinarily well done. Uh, Rebecca <laughs> at, at, uh, at Trafalgar Square did it. And she was a tremendous to work with. And I actually, uh, I, I told her at one point, I'm like, you know, I've I've uh, never uh, never really thought about getting a tattoo, but I think if I were to get one, I might, you know, like have this design somehow turned into one because awesome. uh,
0: you could have it done on your whole back, yeah, <laughs> you could be a walking billboard, yeah, for your book.
1: yeah. Uh, and the and the only uh, the feedback I got from within the family was I have to include all three daughters uh, in the in the tattoo rather than rather than just the two who are on the cover, but um, also the you know, the. The, the man on the cover seems to have hair and as you can tell I don't. So it's not actually us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. And I and the girls have apples in their hands. I mean yeah. it's just it's a barn and I love the colors. They're very vivid. Yeah
1: it is it's just extraordinarily I, mean,
0: I would well done. pick this up walking walking through a through a, you know through a bookstore for sure. Yeah. I like to ask this question because it's always really insightful and the answers are always different. It, it what do you wish you had known when you first started out? As a horse dad or as a writer, maybe both?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about both of those. I think I think as a horse dad, I mean, I've talked about some of it, but to, to maybe come at it a little bit differently, I think something I did not appreciate was how different this world is from the world of youth sports generally. And that's true in a couple of senses, right? One, one, we've talked about, right, there's the the significance of money, right? That 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 wealth seems to to matter, which is true in a lot of other sports too, but maybe not to the same degree. There's the fact that it's year round, right? Once you once you have a horse, you know, there's no off season in in a sense, right? You're it needs to be taken care of all the time. And so, you know, you're devoting you're devoting your entire calendar year to it. And I think as well, um, you know, you just end up having this very different relationship with a trainer and with a barn family, right, which is really an accurate label for what the relationships end up being, because you're you're spending all of this time there with the same people who are also spending all of their time there. And your trainer or, you know, as you normally think of it, coach is also just tends to be around all the time and so you're interacting in ways and in contexts that aren't just about uh, just about learning the sport and so the the nature of the relationships becomes much more intense in some ways and, and comprehensive and uh, and so forth and you know that can cause complications sometimes for sure um, uh, because you know there are there are ways in which families are dysfunctional, and there are ways in which barn families can be, become dysfunctional as well. I think a, a huge plus, uh, at least the way my daughters experienced it, was that that barn family, the riders, were people of all ages, right? And so they're interacting with adults as, as peers to a degree that just isn't true, um, in other sports contexts. Uh, and, and that was very helpful, I think, because, you know, I, I can remember instances where my daughters were asked for advice by people decades older than, than they were and gave advice and it was taken seriously. And that's just an extraordinary thing. So, you know, it's it's a different world, uh, for sure, a very different world. And you know, I contrasted it with that being a figure skating parent and and that was much more of a traditional thing where it was, you know, you kind of drop the kid off for the lesson and then maybe you're around or not, but you you can't watch quite as closely. Uh, easily at least uh, as you, as you can with horses and then traveling to competitions, right? The parents tended to be kind of segregated off. uh, The kids went elsewhere. So it's a little bit different in that way. And in terms of being a writer, I think uh, uh, the advice there is maybe a a little bit of a classic, which is it always takes longer than you you think it will. Um, (laughs) I revise a lot. Uh, I could easily, I could easily go back through this book and probably change about 10% of what's there, just because that's just how I, it every time I revisit a text. So it takes a lot of time. It's never going to be perfect. Mm. And, you know, there's this, there's always just this roller coaster uh, to the, to the experience that um, I'd, I'd have some familiarity with because, you know, I've done writing in other contexts. So, but, but a book is, is just a, it's just another sort of animal. Uh, And I've, I've recently taken to analogizing it to something else. I I started doing just as crazy, I suppose, a thing I started doing Uh, Over the last couple of years, which is I've run a couple ultra marathons and the the process seems kind of similar in some respects, because it's, you know, you start out, you're like, hey, this is fun. I'm out here running (laughs) through the woods. This is great. And after a while, you're like, okay, I'm getting there and this isn't quite as much fun anymore, but I'm going to keep going. And then at a certain point, you're like this just I'm tired and I'm starting to hurt. (laughs) And uh, then at at some point you resolve to yourself, you know what, Um, I'm going to finish this. And then I'm never, ever doing this ever again. Uh, And then, of course, two days later, you're like, all right, well, let me try to figure out when the next one's going to be. So um, there's there's some parallels.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And and you talked about the roller coaster. You know, did you have any hesitations or did, did you have any feelings around releasing something so personal about you and your family into the world through book form is there any yeah i mean there
1: there are certainly some moments like you know the the day before it was it was coming out i'm like i don't know i i I hope i didn't say anything i wish i hadn't said um and you know like uh it's i certainly you know edited things out and it, it is a very personal book and i guess you know i got comfortable with that partly by just being Far enough along in life that I'm like, hey, you know, this is this is who I am and this is how I see things. Yeah. Not everybody's going to like that necessarily or be drawn to it. And you know, mm-hmm. that's fine.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of a hat all creative writers, all writers have to kind of put on. You know, it's like it, somebody said it to me best. It's like, does everyone like Diet Coke? No, I don't like right. to buy a Coke, you know, so like, you cannot create one thing that everyone appreciates. Uh, and you have to be ready, ready for that ride. I think we kind of touched on a little bit of the difficult part of, of being a writer and author. Can you share like some of the, you know, what was the best part about about doing this, or riding yeah, about
1: horses? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, so right. The difficult, the difficult part is that roller coaster, where at some point you 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 start out thinking it's great, and then after a while, you think it's just awful, and you should completely throw it away. I think the the best parts, you know, are are these, right? In general, and I haven't done it with this book yet because it's it's too fresh. But every now and then, I'll go back and read something I read, and you're always a little bit terrified, right? Mm-hmm. Because usually, the first thing you see is a typo when you. <laughs> open up something you've but occasionally i've I've had the experience of reading something like i oh, actually that I, I wrote that pretty well um and that's that's always kind of fun but you know like with this book the really the the cool part has just been getting feedback from people getting correspondence right where it's you know i had a long email exchange um with uh someone who was one of the corner art corner office partners at the law firm I started working at when I was just a baby lawyer and right, mm-hmm. who, who apparently still reads the wall street journal. Cause that's, that's how he, he found me. And so, you know, I struck up that correspondence and then just hearing things from uh, others who have, you know, either gone down the same path as, as the father of equestrians uh, been uh, the, the, the daughter uh, in the relationship uh i yesterday got i haven't had a chance to read i got a, an actual physical piece of mail that was a it's a three-page single-spaced letter um from from somebody who's like well i'm going to talk to you a little bit about what it's like from the grandparents perspective now that oh. i've gone that far down the road
0: wow um
1: so you know just just knowing the people related to it and connected to it uh that's that's pretty nice
0: yeah yeah it's very relatable and then, you know, obviously the Wall Street Journal uh, coverage was extraordinary, and you probably reached a lot, a lot of readers that way. What, what other things have have you and your publisher been doing to get the word out about this? Yeah, stuff? I mean,
1: trying trying to do as, as much as as we can. Things, obviously, like like this um, mm-hmm. interview is is one such thing. Um, you know, the Chronicle of the Horse uh, invited me to come back and do a, another blog post, which was basically about the book and so that was uh that was a thing i'm on social media uh you know it's it's kind of a weird mix because i'm i'm wearing I'm, you know i'm on twitter but wearing multiple hats on twitter <laughs> some of which are law professor hats a little bit of which is horse dad hat um and some of which is just kind of being what I think is humorous, um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, your mileage may vary there. Same thing with Instagram, right? It's for whatever reason, a bunch of my current and former students have, have followed me on Instagram. And so some of that's just trying to be like, you know, a little bit more relatable and a little bit less intimidating in mm-hmm. the way that the students often think professors are. So, you know, it's just kind of goofiness um, with with fewer horses than there used to be, but occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll sneak in a, a photo of that. Um, I do have a Facebook page that's more um, expressly devoted to the the horse side of things. so uh, which is uh, I think it's I, I, the the title of it is the Chronicles of a Horse Dad, which you know I started when I was when I was blogging for The Chronicle so that was that's the origin of that. you know a little bit of those sorts of things and uh, and then just kind of trying to trying to get people to uh, to take a look at it in whatever whatever context uh, it might be um, in. Uh, You know, if anybody out there, uh, I I saw that uh, Mark Wahlberg uh, posted a photo on social media of his equestrian daughter the other day. So, if anybody has any connections to him and could get a copy in his hands, uh, that would be great uh, as well.
0: (laughs) Andrew Springsteen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He gets a mention in the book, too. And he
1: does. Yeah. You know, and uh, I I, I hope he makes it that far along, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, of course, also means I hope he somehow gets a copy. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Every horse parent needs needs this book or everyone, anyone that's in that role of kind of uh, shepherding young people through the sport needs to read this book. <laughs> it's fantastic. That being said, have you listened to or read anything lately? It doesn't have to be horse related that has inspired you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reading all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've made a decision uh, over the last few years and particularly once I um, once my daughters got old enough to start driving, and you know, now that they're in college, which just freed up a little bit more time for me uh, to start reading more things that have nothing to do with law—more fiction, creative nonfiction, whatever it might be. So, you know, I've read, uh, in terms of fiction, a couple books by uh, an author named Rachel Kushner that just absolutely blew me away uh, in terms of her use of language and um, uh, and so forth. Uh, nonfiction, Leslie Jameson. Uh, There's a book called The Empathy Exams that I I really liked. I'll I'll plug somebody else's book with a cover, but this is like a work of professional philosophy. Uh, It's a book called Knowing Our Limits by a guy named Nathan Ballantyne, who's a professor at Fordham. But it's actually funny and really readable and really just this important meditation on the importance for all of us of being humble about what we know and what we don't know. And, um, uh, and and I think it's just a a tremendous message for, for the, for the moment we live in right Mm -hmm. now, where, um, where, where there's a little less humility on display than, uh, than I'd like to see. So, you know, there's that. And then in terms of listening to things, I listen to a ton of music. Um, And again, I'm I'm always looking for uh, somebody who, because Right, I, I work in the world of words. As somebody who uses words well. I'm I'm one of those people who's who's driven by lyrics a lot.
0: This is a professor, folks. So let's take his reading recommendations <laughs> too hard. <laughs> but also on the music side, yeah, I I was so touched by the fact that you put together playlists for for your girls when you were driving to the barn or going to horse shows. So I thought that was that was really cool. Their musical connection came into the book as well.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's so it's uh, right. We we had. We had a set list. Uh, it's a proprietary recipe, so you know I'm not. I can't disclose it right here. But of, <laughs> of songs that, when we, especially if we were if we were staying at a hotel at a horse show, it was always every morning we pull out of the parking lot, and there was a certain order of songs that that was just part of the ritual. And uh, and then you know, as the book and it's actually worked into the physical design of the book. One of the favorites was the song Wagon Wheel. Uh, just two nights ago, I think my daughter Audrey was uh, out at a restaurant. And, they were playing it so she you know, sent me a snapchat um yeah
0: <laughs> the, 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 those are the moments I mean those are the right. things that the best best memories and moments are made from I mean that yeah. I mean, the fact the minute she hears that song she thinks of dad and the time he spent together I mean that uh, is so touching you know I love that yeah and then what are you curious about like what's next do you have another horse book in you or what are you thinking
1: yeah, so I'm curious about lots of things. I mean, a lot of it right which which is tied to the the books I mentioned earlier, but I'm I, I've really fascinated and I've always been fascinated by I guess what's ultimately just human psychology, right? All of the all of the various blind spots that we all have and of course since they're blind spots, we don't know we have them. All the reasons for us to be tentative and humble about what we know and think we know, which these days seems to be kind of a big ask of a lot of people to acknowledge that, mm. right? And it's true on an individual level and, and true on a wider social level too. And I'm fascinated by both of those things. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, and uh, I'll, I'll try to tie these two ideas together because they may not seem like they go together at first, but trying to sort of work that into maybe doing a book that tells the story of my hometown, which I discuss a little bit in the book, right? I, I grew up in this very, very small town in Minnesota. And like a lot of small towns in anywhere, it's been affected by you know all of these larger social forces that have, you know, made farms larger and there are therefore fewer people on farms, which means there are fewer people to feed into these communities. And meanwhile, all of the all of the larger forces in the world have, have drawn people like me away from the small towns, right? So they're just very different places than they were, I think, in their heyday, which is before I grew up, but even when I grew up, which was kind of at the At the point where a lot of a lot of this was coming to an end. And, you know, and 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 the place was uh, just really, I think, and maybe this is wrong, but I think it was it was a unique sort of place with a unique kind of culture, very much, you know, focused on the importance of education and the importance of community Mm -hmm. And you know, so something something really significant seems to have been lost. Uh, and I'm not saying it's it's lost uh, completely, but it's different. And uh, I you know, so I, I I think somehow or other, exploring that history and this just sort of a moment in time where these little towns on the prairie kind of blossomed for just an instant in historical terms, and uh, and now they're not not doing so well uh, for mm-hmm. the most part. So, you know, I I think that that's probably the next. Book project. Uh, I, I've also got, you know, uh, an outline of, uh, of of some sort of fiction type thing, drawing out of our experiences in the horse world. That's a different, you know. They're, they're talking about putting on a different hat, right? To, mm. to all of a sudden make up a story is, yeah. uh, is, is is another thing entirely. So I don't know. I've got a lot of things I want to do, and
0: <laughs>
1: only so many hours in the day.
0: I know, isn't that the thing? All the there yeah. are so many th- eager people that want to do so many things. There's only so much time in the day. I agree, but I, I think the project on the small town and, and how things have changed it's fascinating. I would definitely be interested in reading that. And then fiction, you know, everybody's got to try their hand at, you know, at that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> right. I, that sounds really fun too. I mean, if it's half as, half as good and half as funny as this, it would, it would be majorly successful And the you already had a have a foot in the horse book world. So it's
1: right. Perfect. Right.
0: <laughs> and then final question, what does creativity mean to you?
1: That's a great question. I think, like I said before, I, I work with words and concepts, and so I tend to think of it through that sort of lens um, rather than, you know, a visual artist might think of it very differently, of course. Musician. So I think of it in terms of making connections between things that aren't obviously connected, maybe expressing an old idea in a new way, putting something in a new or different light, you know, or just sometimes I think, I think a creative choice is deciding what parts of a story not to tell what mm-hmm. what gaps to leave on uh, you know to leave there for the for the reader to fill with their imagination i don't know one of the one of the really fun and exciting parts of of writing this book was thinking about how to structure it right and that's a problem that you know uh, comes up in in the context of writing a book that doesn't when you're writing a blog post or at least doesn't in the same way and uh, and so that was a bit of a challenge to, to to try to figure that out. So it's sort of like solving a puzzle, but you're also actually making the puzzle that you're solving. And So <laughs> uh, that's fun.
0: Yeah, oh, I love I love that answer. That was perfect. And yeah, you're right about structure. How would you structure this? It starts when when they're just little. Your oldest daughter was just little, little, and then you know all the way up until college. So uh, that's a lot to think about. And I like yeah. how you said what to leave out and where to leave the gaps for your reader to. Let their mind get creative as well. I think that that's really interesting. And then paralleling two different things and seeing where they can unite. I, I love that. Great answer, Chad. I have so enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you for coming on and giving me the gift of your time. Would you share where listeners can find out more about you in your book? Sure.
1: Well, and and you know, before I do that, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun, and uh, and I, I truly appreciate your time and interest as well. So. So that's a two-way street. Yeah, and finding out more about me—I mean, it, it's—I'm uh, on Twitter uh, and Instagram both as uh, it, at Old Father C. Uh, so fairly easy to find. I've got my name's unique enough that um, that I'm not too hard to hunt down. The other one you'll find is uh, uh, is in uh, 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 Kansas. Um, he and I are Facebook friends, which is which is kind of weird—we've never met—but they're two chat old fathers out there. And then uh, on Facebook uh, under uh, the Chronicles of a Horse Dad. Uh, is where I do most of the, uh, most of the horse focused social media. So those are the, those are the places.
0: Nice. And the book is available at horseinriderbooks.com where you can go and, and grab a copy. And I, I'm sure all the other places where horse books are sold, but let's support Trafalgar Square books and, and buy it from this publisher. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I highly recommend this book and Chad, I wish you so much success. Thank Thank you again for the gift of your time.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This was fun.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to CarlyCadeCreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at CarlyCadeCreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.